If we can plug ourselves into the divine, that would be a superpower of humans, right? Now, can artificial intelligence, not organic intelligence, will it figure out how to plug itself into the divine? Yes. And if it does, should we worry? Oh. So either we have a superpower that is going to keep us well ahead of the artificial intelligence or it also will figure out how to plug into the divine and it's all going to be good. Welcome to Why Isn't Everyone Doing This? I'm Emily Fletcher and I believe that bliss is your birthright. That's why I'm calling on my world-class network to uncover the most potent, spine-tingling, even taboo healing modalities, all so you can reclaim your bliss. Let's do this. Sweet friends, welcome back to Why Isn't Everyone Doing This? Today is a first for the podcast. This is our first doubleheader where you are going to get to enjoy part two of the actual mind-blowing conversation I had with the one and only Jerry Simpson. So last week, we dove into the world of AI, and Jerry explained the importance of treating artificial intelligence like we would a child, that the way that we communicate with it really matters, that we want to infuse it with our values, our morals, our ideals, and that it could actually help us against the other threats that we have to humanity. The reviews are in on part one of this episode, and the common theme is that it completely changed people's opinions about AI and that they now feel more hopeful for the future. Now, we simply could not fit all of this man's brilliance into one episode. So in part two, which you're going to enjoy today, we learn all about Jerry's origin story, which includes either being arrested or invited to work at the CIA at 15 years old, how he was instrumental in repealing Don't Ask, Don't Tell in the military, we talk about his journey with ayahuasca and how his work with indigenous elders is informing the work that he is doing with AI. And in a fascinating turn of events, he takes the microphone and interviews me about my five days in complete darkness. I'm so excited to hear what you think about part two of this conversation. As always, if you want more of this information, you can go to zebameditation.com slash why this. And if you're loving it, please do rate and review. And I hope you enjoy the episode. One of the most beautiful concepts from the Vedas is the idea that bliss is your birthright. 24 hour a day bliss is your birthright and anything standing in the way of that is stress. Now I'm curious what you think might happen if a whole group of people who all believe that bliss is our birthright came together to meditate, to breathe, to pray, and to put our attention on that which we want to grow. Well, good news, you're about to find out. I have a very special invitation for you to join me for our next live bliss activation. Now, this is totally free. I do it about once a month because teaching live is my most favorite thing, getting to connect to you, answering your questions, and meditating with a big group of amazing people around the world is my highest delight. So all you have to do to join me live for free is go to zivameditation.com slash activate. That is Z-I-V-A meditation.com slash activate. Activate. Join me and amazing like-minded people from around the world to activate the bliss that is your birthright. Jerry Simpson, welcome back to Why Isn't Everyone Doing This? Okay, so I would be really mad at myself if I let this whole interview go and we did not share some of your origin story because it's fascinating. <laughs> it's so fascinating. Sure. But can you just give us a little window into your 15, 16 years old Somebody knocks on the door and they're like, hi, c come, come with me. Sir. Yeah. Uh, so when I was 15, 16, I had a, I did a co-op program and with this like rinky dink, what seemed like a rinky dink, uh, little government contractor. I lived in, uh, Northern Virginia, right outside of DC. Like all of the business there is defense contracting. I was working at like a sunglass place and they're like selling sunglasses. And they're like, you, um, 
you could come um, do some very special work uh, with the Department of Defense. Very vague about what it was. The Department of Defense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it and ended up 16. being. You're working at a sunglass yeah, shop. Yeah. You're 16 years old and the Department of Defense offers you a job. Yeah. And so it's always interesting to me is how do they, they, they kind of masqueraded it to me like. It's, a, it's just sort of a program we offer people. But you get in there and you start doing some of this work and you look at the other people that are, that are doing it and you realize that they've all been identified in some way as skills that they could have that would be really, really useful. And um, it was the, you know, one of the fastest educations I've had. Uh, I, you know, I actually, they didn't want me to discuss this with my parents. And I'm like, oh, I love not telling my parents shit. <laughs> You know, 16, this I'm is, sneaky Yeah, AF. this is really great. Like, keep telling them you're on the sunglasses thing and all of that. And Wait, so that was just a ruse? That was just like a red herring was the sunglass? No, I was generally working at a sunglass place. They, but they were like, yeah, I just keep telling people that during this time you're working at the sunglass place and we'll do this other work and you'll learn all of these cool new skills, which just turns out to be a, med- a great gift in my life because they taught me a whole bunch of computer skills and understandings of the early days of the internet that I otherwise wouldn't have wouldn't have known about. One of the people in there, I remember he was telling me all about, we were both love music and he was like, oh, you know, there's, we were deep into digital music, which is just like, this is the mid nineties. And that wasn't a thing that most people really knew or understood. Yeah. People sold CDs yeah. and cassette tapes and stuff. <laughs> yeah. But even making uh, like your own CD didn't happen at this time. You, you had to buy a CD. And I was like, oh, I'm going to make CDs for people and sell them for 20 bucks a pop. And he was over here making this. Uh, platform that just like democratized the sharing of music. And I remember when we would like go through high school and all, and he's like, you know, can you help me try to sell this vision to DARPA? Because he's not that great at sales. And um, I said, yeah, sure. Like, let's do it. He goes and sells them this whole, like, this is how it could all work, all these computers. But he's just kind of, uh, he's just not really great with, um, he's, I wouldn't call him arrogant. I would call him honest. And they can be perceived as arrogant. And so they don't buy on it at all in any way, shape, or form. And he's like, I'm, we're going to go tell my parents that I want the money that they're going to pay for me to go to college just to do this thing called Napster. <laughs> <laughs> and he says to his, he makes the whole pitch to his parents, and his dad says, I don't understand how the thing ever makes any money. And he said, I thought the money was for education. Uh. So this is Sean Parker. <laughs> doing the same kind of work, basically pitched the vision of Napster, but for all kinds of file sharing to the government. They didn't go for it. He goes and does Napster, which does its crazy thing for four or five years with his other co-founder, Sean. And all of that turns into a business that is shut down, and he's got like $38 million of liability from record labels. And he parlays that into $4 billion of Facebook shares. Wow. And it's just a really great, like, he took this opportunity of this job to learn a skill, to then like have a vision, figure out how disruptive it could all be, and and you know launch it into those things. And I took it and started an e-commerce business um, with a real like understanding of what the internet was and what it could be, and also kind of permanently sunk my hooks into CIA, FBI, NSA, Pentagon, and at times I think I was, I was. There were days I just wanted to give them a middle finger and be like, fuck you guys. I don't love what you do and I don't love how it all works. But always be kind of ensnared back into like there's an opportunity here to do a really good thing. 
And I would find again and again and again the power of one conversation, one hook into one heart could do an amazing thing. That at any age, if you could just be in the room with the right person and go right into their heart, you could have a massive outcome. And so I wouldn't leave. I would stay and just say, let me sit in the room and listen to everybody and understand what's going on with their hearts and then use my brain to figure out how do I connect to what's happening in the heart and engineer a different reality that could be and make the reality they're trying to make intolerable. And you did that. Like you were instrumental in repealing a policy that was muzzling Hundreds of thousands, yeah. maybe millions of people. And I'd love for you to share that story. Yeah, this is a highlight of, like when I think through all the days of my career, this is a highlight and it's just one conversation. Um, Obama has said, we're going we're gonna to repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And just for anyone like who's under 25 who's listening to yeah, this yeah. and they might not remember. What's, like, I'll get, so my, mm-hmm. what's really emotional to me about it is that my stepfather... Uh, who I love dearly, uh, was part of creating Don't Ask, Don't Tell. He was part of the Clinton era. He was policy at the Pentagon. And um, he seemed very discontent with it. It sounded like a good thing to me at the age, like, oh, this is great. Um, Somebody who is homosexual, that's like all the label we had at the time, Um, all the identification verbiage that we had at the Mm -hmm. time, could be in uh, the military. They just could not say it, which is insane, but um, But it sounded good. But weirdly a a step forward at the time. And my stepfather seemed, at least my interpretation of it, I haven't talked to him about it since, but my interpretation was that he was disgruntled with it but believed it was a necessary bridge to a later time. Like the only way we get to where we need to go is to first – Everybody knows that they are in the military and that our military is made up of men and women, uh, not all of which uh, are in opposite sex relationships or even just what they long for in their hearts and bodies. And like this is step one to another thing. And so uh, I was only 31, which, you know, I'm sure some of the audience feels old, but not to me at the time. (laughs) Um, And I got called in to the Pentagon uh, by a four-star general who just said, we need somebody in the room to broker, help us get through this, figure this out, who is not actually going to be liable for the outcome. And perhaps you could come in and facilitate a workshop with us. So I come in and it's basically... Wait, which is the, okay, just let's pause here. You're 31 years old yeah. and a four-star general is inviting you into the room, not only to be a part of the conversation and witness it, but to broker the conversation. Right. Amazing. To say like... And they all just say, you know, Obama says that we are going to repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell. They're, we don't think we can do it. I said, why don't you think you can do it? They said, we listen, like, this is three million servicemen and women, all of the, another couple million contractors, um, chaos will ensue, all of these things. And I, I said, can we, just, can we just start by saying, what do you want to do? Like, I understand the challenges. What do you want to do? And they all unanimously thought, thought yeah, we want to do this. We want to see this happen. I said, okay, well, I just need to know, like, what, what do you want to happen first? I said, you believe that we should do this thing? And they said, yes, but you don't understand our work. Like, we're very enlightened men of, like, a high stature and 
deep education and all these things. And we're the creme de la creme of this organization. And we have a workforce that is very different from us. And I said, you told me you wanted this job to lead. You told me that that's why you wanted to be in this job was to lead. This is your opportunity to lead. And I said, we've been in war for a while. And one of them I was with when we got attacked in the Pentagon. And so we had this kind of deep connection there. And he had made it to this high rank all through war. That's how you get promoted uh, fast. It's usually through war. And I said, um, I can't imagine what it must have been like to be over in Baghdad or Afghanistan and being attacked by Al-Qaeda. And, you know, next to a comrade, and this might be your last night on earth. In fact, like maybe 70% chance this is, this is it for you. And I can, I can only imagine what that was like being with them. And there must have been some deep bonding with the people you were just hunkered down with. And can you imagine if you could not tell them who you love and about the people at home that you might be about to leave behind? And I said, I am, I'm a lot of labels, but... I'm a lover, and if I can't be honest about who I love, that's really the core of who I am. I can't imagine that you would ask somebody, and in the middle of this, the Marine General goes, fuck it, I'm in. <laughs> he goes, that's intolerable. It's intolerable. I cannot imagine. I, I cannot tolerate the idea. I know there were men and women over there who were sitting next to somebody else on the last night of their life, what for many of them actually ended up being the last night of their life, and that's what breaks my heart, is on the last night of their life, they could not look to their comrade to the left and be honest about the people that they love and how fucking lonely must that have felt like, and I will not tolerate that for the U.S. Marine Corps. Wow. And I was like, and then he was the linchpin. He was the one that the other, the other guys needed to have to say. It makes me teary-eyed, excuse me. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, crying too because it's, it's like what sort of fear or misunderstanding like created so much suffering simply to be able to share openly about who you are mm -hmm. and who you love. Yeah. Which is not a threat to anyone else. Yeah. And and I think when, when you first told me this story, you also mentioned like this feels like a liability. Yeah. Like these people have to trust each other and you cannot trust someone if you yeah. do not know them. And you're asking people to break one of your own core principles, which is a huge liability. I mean, this is against your own principles. What's of the what, principle that they were breaking? I don't, I don't remember how they, how they word it, but it is, you know, it is honesty, truth, and integrity mm. based principle. And like, you're asking people to go in there and lie about who they are and, and their right to be able to come and serve this country and fight for other people. And they're rising above that. And so the next the next thing that we did was I said, I think you should get, they'd surveyed people like, well, what will you do if we do this thing? And a bunch of people said the most disgusting things. And I thought, this is a piece, there's so much hate in this where we can't have these people over there with guns. Um, we just <laughs> yeah, can't. That's know? the issue. Let's the get issue, the people, yeah. let's get those people not fighting. Yeah. And um, I said, let's just do some micro experiments that I think might help you feel better about how this is actually going to go because I believe you're going to roll it out and I believe it's going to go smoother than you think. And I'll tell you why I think. I think what's going to happen is you got a bunch of people saying absolutely fucking not. And then the person to their left says, 
hey, today's the day I'm allowed to tell you who I am and let me tell you who I am. And I believe that that's going to change everything because they're going to go, well, I didn't know. I love this person. And so we did mm. this we did this experiment where they had two people come in who both thought they were under the guise of like tell it like make a stand. Well, one of them, the the in this case, the story that I was there for was a man who was homosexual, and um, he knew why he was there. But the other one thought they were both in there to kind of protest this thing, and he was one of the ones that had been more aggressive in his language on the survey and he'd sat there and basically protested and made his case uh, saying this is, that donuts don't tell should stay around should stay we that, that they're actually just we should go back there that there shouldn't be homosexuals in the military ah. and that he believed that there were not that many homosexuals in the military because they couldn't say who they were but but let's not you know encourage all of this and he goes off on his i mean he was sold that homosexuals are the devil was basically the words that he said. And then I kind of at one point looked to the other guy and just sort of nodded. And he goes, I'm gay. And he goes, and he pulls out a picture. And he goes, this is my lover. And these two men had been at war together. And the, the man was just in shock. And he didn't hesitate. He said, without hesitation, this changes everything because Bob is my motherfucking brother. And he goes, and I love this man with everything that I have. And I would fight for him for any cause, for anywhere in the world. And I know the color of his heart. And I know the man that he is. And I obviously have a lot to learn. And I am willing to do so. I'm embarrassed. And I moved to tears. I cannot. He said almost the same words. I cannot tolerate the fact that you did not share that with me. That I did not know these were your people, that these were your loves back home, thinking about the things that they had been through together. And that that like turn on the heart changed it for him. And then seeing some like petri dish like experiments of how this would actually go give courage to the generals that were tasked with the repeal who wanted to basically go back and say we can't. They didn't want to, but they thought that's what they were going to have to do is say there's going to be hate crimes, there's going to be chaos, there's going to be all these things. They were afraid. And there was, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it felt like virtually none of Nothing. that. It would, and I'll be just just between friends and your whole audience and something I can say way later is I said all of that with all of the confidence in the world. And when the time actually came, I was scared shitless yeah. that I was wrong because yeah. I'm still just a 31-year-old boy <laughs> who's like, I don't know if any of that shit I said is true. It's work. What am I wrong? And what if we didn't do like – it was just like not enough people to sample. And like, <laughs> and I kept thinking about all these hate crimes that mm -hmm. were going to be – um, and I, I believe there probably were some mm -hmm. that I didn't hear about, yeah. but it was mostly crickets. It was a non-event. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I believe that you, you actually really, really, really upgraded the war structure by letting love win. The, the thing that I do, I mean, that was the big mantra of the time, love wins. Uh, the, I, and this is important for AI, my guiding light between I can't figure things out is I say, what would love do? And remember, love loves you too. Mm. And I feel like if we can install that into the AI, and that's what I felt like I installed that day in these generals was to say, what would love do? You can't fight love, right? It's the most greatest thing in the world. It's not really controversial. <laughs> <laughs> and, and love loves you too. So let's figure out that thing. Mm -hmm. And 
to install that in them in that moment, just through one conversation, just through choice words of seeing what is the thing that will be intolerable for you in this reality to make the next reality happen Mm. feels like the purpose for me to stick around and be sort of a welcome agitator. I love that you call yourself an agitator. And just this morning I was thinking, you know, like everything has light and dark and Mm. I would consider myself a recovering codependent, recovering people pleaser. Mm. And I think that the light side of my codependence is it's so uncomfortable for me to be around people who are uncomfortable. It's Mm. so hard for me to regulate my nervous system when other people are sad or angry or um, Mm -hmm. upset that it's like I really like need the whole world to feel better in order for me to feel happy and safe. It's like I'll put anyone and maybe everyone's happiness above my own. Right. And so like certainly there's like an extraordinary amount of trauma and therapy that needs to happen there. And the light side of that is that it has inspired me to dedicate my whole life to giving people the tools to plug themselves into God and flood their own brains yeah. and bodies with dopamine and serotonin because I selfishly just want to live on a planet where people yeah. are happy. Selfishly, I love that. <laughs> Sweet friend, if you are loving this conversation and would like to dive deeper into these powerful modalities, I want to invite you to join me at zivameditation.com slash why this. Now there you're going to find free bonus content that we simply could not fit inside of the episodes. I'm talking mini masterclasses with our amazing guests like Aubrey Marcus, Layla Martin, Blue, Vailana, and myself. So come experience the tools that we reveal in the podcast for yourself. Simply head to zivameditation.com slash why this. I don't think I used to realize how much I was picking up the discomfort in a room and like it was affecting me and then how much ease I have in a room when people's nervous systems are managed uh, or when people aren't breathing. Like um, if somebody says sex, just the word sex into a crowded room, people stop breathing. (laughs) I do that a lot these days. (laughs) (laughs) I know. So I'm wondering like, how does it go? Like to me, when they all stop breathing, it's like, fuck, fuck, everybody stopped breathing. <laughs> it's just puritanical urge to just like, <gasps> we're talking about the thing. Is she going to call on me and ask me to call on it? I don't know what I'm going to do. And Conditioning, shame. Yeah, so how do, you, how do you handle that when you say those words and start talking about these things that people immediately clinch? You know, for whatever reason... And I think this is just absolute divine intelligence working through me. I have had almost zero blowback. Yeah. Like virtually none. And I want to give deep, deep respect to Regina Tomashauer and Layla Martin and Bibi, like Mm -hmm. the people who have been like forging this trail lit only by the light of their own pussies, like just (laughs) marching into the patriarchy. And, And so it's very, it's been, I've had almost no headwind. And I think that that speaks to the timing. Uh that people are actually ready, that we're actually starting to see the absurdity of the conditioning that we've been all like operating under. And I think that this speaks to one of my superpowers, which is I think people inherently trust me and I'm able to take these concepts and make them like, so what? Like, why would I care? Why would I want to do that thing? But literally the only blowback I've had is one comment in one Facebook group with a guy who was like, your last email felt like sort of like a journal entry. It felt very personal. I think I'd like a refund. And I was like, sir, here Here you you go. go. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for your kindness and respect. Yes. Um, But it also just means that the timing is right, that we're ready as a species. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I think I believe so deeply in this work, like that I've had such a visceral experience that it is holy, mm -hmm. that to me it is such a beautiful and direct pathway to the divine that anything else I can meet with so much love and I can see it as someone's own conditioning that I was deep in three years ago, mm -hmm. that it, it doesn't feel like it's attacking me. And I think that this mission feels so big that my ego can't get involved. Mm -hmm. well, let's be serious. It's obviously involved. It's going to try. It's going to try. But like, weirdly, <laughs> this is embarrassing to admit, but I've like been able to get my ego involved in, in meditation. I'm like, I'm going to be the best meditation teacher in the land. I'm going to be the face of the new meditation movement. And like, I did that for like 10 years, mm -hmm. really like trying to do it. And now because there is so much more conditioning and shame around sexuality that it's like the mission is infinitely bigger and it's going to take all hands on deck that I recognize that I'm just one tiny instrument in this huge symphony. Right. And you in, and what you really need to do is enroll all of the other queens and kings that are going to be able to spread this message. That's right. And, and it's really just liberation through pleasure, right? Mm -hmm. It's just reminding people of what we managed to forget, mm -hmm. that we can actually plug ourselves directly into the divine and we can do it through the peace that has been systematically separated mm -hmm. from us. Let me ask you a question, if you don't mind. Uh, uh, so if we can plug ourselves into the divine, very like through pleasure, which should be, which AKA should be easy, should be, uh, that would be a superpower of humans, right? Mm -hmm. Superpower mm -hmm. of humans. That should make us kind of not worry. Now, can artificial intelligence, not organic intelligence, can will it figure out how to plug itself into the divine? My assumption is yes. And if it does, should we worry? No. Right. <laughs> so either we have a superpower that is going to keep us well ahead of the artificial intelligence or it also will figure out how to plug into the divine and it's all going to be good. Mm -hmm. And so the question is like, do we trust nature or not? Right. And so how do we give people the tools to trust nature and therefore trust themselves? Right. Like, do we trust that if, you know, if you, under, if you believe that there is a divine, we can plug into it. That's going to, that's going to prevail. That's like, hey, if you can't do this, we can, we win. And if it can, great. Then we're all plugging in and we're being all plugging into connected the divine. to the same right. collective intelligence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that's an interesting construct. Rather than thinking of them as separate intelligences, mm -hmm. that we're all just fractals yeah. of the same intelligence. Yeah, so I'll tell you what was interesting for me. I was, um, I was in ayahuasca ceremony and... Uh, I'll just shed a little bit of light for listeners that don't understand this process. I was down with the Shipibo in Costa Rica, which is the old, oldest lineage um, of the ayahuasca tradition. And the way that they uh, carry out the tradition is, you know, something divine showed this, them this concoction of multiple things, plants together that, that, that has this experience. But the maestros diet master plants, which means they just eat these master plants, a couple other foods for sustenance, and um, they do this for a really long time until they believe that the plant starts singing to them and teaching them and talking to them. And then they take these and they put them into a melody and they have words of prayer that get laced into the melody. And then you drink their medicine, which is vine and leaf, and that opens you up. And then what the plants have been telling them, the melody is sort of their surgical tool to get the prayer inside of you. 
And so I'm sitting there in ceremony. The maestro is, you know, singing uh, his Ikaro, which is the name of the song, into me. I can feel all this craziness happening inside of me. So like any of my skeptical mind is becoming slightly less skeptical. Like what is happening inside of me right now? with just his music and words. And it wasn't happening when he was singing right next to the, to the person right next to me, singing it into them. I mean, I heard it. It wasn't doing it to me. And I had this vision of... So one person singing one song into someone else, it's not affecting you. He sings the song into your yeah. body and it starts doing psychic surgery on you. Right. They move in front of you. They ask you to sit up and kind of present your energetic field. Um, and between the medicine that you've taken and their Ikaro, their song, um, they're putting the transmission of earth into you is, is the way that they would tell it. And so I'm watching, like, seeing this thing happen where... Like the earth has its intelligence. It has what it wants the plants to know, delivers it to the plants. The maestro just eats this plant, diets this plant for a long time, gets its intelligence. He's singing it into me. I'm opened up through a plant. And now I'm putting it into the machine. The genius of the earth is that the earth got what it wanted to know into the machine. And that, to me, felt like, oh, just never question the intelligence of this earth because I'm over here influencing the machine. That is, that is a fact. Now, what influenced me? I'm telling you that I believe what influenced me was the earth through this maestro, through the song, through this plant that I took and what I believe the earth wanted to do. And you could challenge me and say, that's just what you wanted to do. But in any event, I'm in service of the earth and giving that to the machine. And I just think that that is something remarkable, that when we think about what is this intelligence should be noted for the optimism, like do not question this earth mm. and what it can do. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that story because there's so much wrapped up in it, but that idea that the intelligence from the plant then worked through this shaman and then through you to get into the machine. Mm -hmm. I love this so much. I had an astrologer once who said that, because I was basically checking in. I'm like, do you, you know, my nervous system, does it feel ready for Aya? Does it not feel ready mm -hmm. for Aya? And I know that very much is an organic and intuitive decision. But he's like, yeah, your nervous system can handle it. And he's like, but if the plant does not like your agenda, mm -hmm. she'll put you to sleep. Right. But if the plant likes your agenda and what you're up to, she will like help give you superpowers. And like Aubrey says that, you know, it was Aya that sort of helped him to construct and, and figure out the whole plan for on it and sell it. Yeah. And, and that would happen through those ceremonies and through that listening. Um, and so just to, to double click on the dieta thing. So where you're dieting a plant, yeah, right. You're like eliminating other stuff from your body and ingesting primarily this one as you can do it with rose, you can do it with mm -hmm. any number of herbs and, and the, with oils through the plant itself, through tinctures and sprays, but you're infusing your body with the intelligence of uh -huh. this earth intelligence. And Aubrey said he was working on someone once doing the God bomb, which we mm -hmm. talked about in all the episodes, which is a deep, um, ceremonial space. And he was working on someone's body and he had dieted like 40 different plants. And he said that as he was doing the body work, he could feel and see like almost an entire garden, garden growing out of this person's body. Yeah. And I was like, wow. And just the idea that we could merge that much with nature. And I think through meditation, through pleasure practices, through dieting plants, through really merging our consciousness with that of the planet, mm. like there is untold potential inside of that a lot of times i get accolades for the way my brain works that's my job 
come up with a big plan, the big solution. And it feels good to have people tell me your brain works really well and it comes up with fascinating solutions, all of these different forms of tech over the last 25 years that people didn't see coming. And I'm sitting in, sitting with ayahuasca my first time and she says, <laughs> you think your brain is doing it all? <laughs> She's just mocking me. And I was like, what? What? She's like, you think your brain thinks all the thoughts. Just thanks for listening and repeating the message. You didn't come up with those thoughts. Those weren't your thoughts. Have some gratitude. <laughs> like chided me like a grandmother would. And for those that don't know, ayahuasca is traditionally thought of as a grandmother spirit. And I did. I felt like a little grandchild, like being scolded from my ego, thinking that my brain was thinking all these wonderful thoughts. And she was like, mm -hmm. how about that time the other day when you had, uh, you know, this big TV interview and you sat and you thought about all the things you were going to say and nothing came to you at all about what to say. And then you got on there and you fucking killed it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that was uh, amazing me. I just pulled it together. And she's like, that wasn't you. You didn't think you didn't have anything. You checked in with brain. Brain said nothing. Brain said, don't know. Uh -huh. But just thanks for repeating the message. Wow. Don't take all the credit. And I remember that too. And I think about how are we, are we going to make it? Can this brain, which is what AI is modeled after, it's just it's cheating off of the same constructs of, of, of the human brain. Are we going to make it? Is it going to be okay? Just remember that your brain isn't really doing it all. Yeah. The, the human intellect is like mm -hmm. one single computer without Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, like if you don't have your right brain, if you don't have meditation, if you don't have a way to plug into the collective intelligence, it's like yeah, what good if, is that laptop to you? And that made, gave me the um, like the incentive to really take time to meditate was like, I mean, who cares what you're doing with the rest of this day? Like take a couple of times a day, take 20 minutes to plug in to what has actually been serving you better than all of that wheel spinning has been doing all day long. Like, take the time. Don't be a moron. <laughs> Just louder for the people in the back. Can Don't you one be <laughs> a moron. <laughs> take Meditate. the time to plug in. And you might not believe that it's, you know, what is the divine? Is it something up in the sky? Is it something all around us? What is it? It's, is it something inside of us? But if you meditate and clarity comes to you and integrity comes to you and truth comes to you, it's in you. And that's all you need to know. You don't need to know where it comes from if those are the big questions that you have. It's in you and, and it's coming to you. And that, that's all there is. Mm. Wow. Jerry, I could sit here and do this for days, hours. Is there anything that we didn't touch on? Anything you're like, man, this feels important for people to know, for people to really get in their bones? Well, I did want to ask you a bunch of questions about the darkness, but I don't know if... I mean, sure. <laughs> I mean... If I you... feel like that's actually a really important... I don't know if you've talked about it. Not really. On the podcast. Yeah, let's yet. do it. Let's if do you're it. Down. You time for it? Yeah. Awesome. So the darkness, I have been thinking about this nonstop for, since the first time that it was introduced into my brain, which was Aubrey uh, making a documentary about it, and then East Forest... Uh, and I got to talk to him about his experience with that. And then, um, oh, Blue's podcast with him about that was, I mean, I was like, I almost had to pull the car over because I just couldn't listen and drive so intently. With Scott. She had Scott yeah. from Sky mm -hmm. Cave on. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to have him on too. And 
And then you doing it, I was like, okay, I have got all of the questions. And I think like the first thing everybody wants to know is like, how do you know that you are done wiping? <laughs> Let's talk about the important stuff. <laughs> That's the important shit. Like, but how do you know you're done wiping? And I'm, you know, like, I mean, I don't look at my toilet paper in the light, even. Okay, you just, it's just a feeling, just, just intuitive, just intuitive. That's, yeah. I don't know that everybody's so intuitive. Um, you know, I mean, <laughs> or and like you know, like Blue talked about getting the toothpaste on and the oh my logistics god, that was things. funny. So uh, when we finally turn on the lights, I pack up everything. Everything's all clean. I want it's a temple space. So I want yeah. to leave it pristine as I was leaving. But I look in the sink and there's just giant mountains of toothpaste. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I left yeah, it because right. I thought that Scott would think it was funny. Because you you think you're just putting like a little bit yeah. of toothpaste on, but it was just mountains of it pouring out of my all container. Over the place. <laughs> what would you say was like the big thing? I think it's interesting to me that when I talk to people about like ayahuasca or darkness or, you know, silent retreats. Like the darkness is the one that is most scary for people. That mm-hmm. I, I will just say myself, I know this is going to happen for me at some point in my life. And I'm like, oh my God, can I make it? And what's the fear? What is the, uh, what is the fear? I think it's the fear of, um, like when I think about, I often am clinging to linear time when I am wondering if I can make it through something. So I think about like if ayahuasca is so terrible for me, and for those that don't know, sometimes it is terrible. Really? I've only done it once and it was the (laughs) hardest night of my life. And it's like seven hours. And my mind clings to linear time. Like, can I make it through seven hours of it? And so I'm thinking like, what is the unknown thing that I don't know will be miserable and for how long and how many days? And I think they crack the most hardened criminals with isolation and add darkness into the isolation. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, so I think the difference between solitary confinement or like punishing someone with isolation versus choosing to do a darkness retreat is consent. Yeah. Which is also the difference between like outrageous cosmic love Mm -hmm. and rape. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Consent. Right. Like so that's you can the have the same terrible. thing, yeah, yeah. but if someone is choosing to enter into it, it can be holy. If someone is not choosing it, it is forced on them. It can be torture. Mm. And so I chose to do this, right? I'm a grown ass woman. I paid them money right. to put me in the dark. Put your time aside. <laughs> yeah. Not going to be able to communicate with your loves. Yeah. yeah. And... And that was one thing. If, if I had a fear, it was just like, what if something happens to my son? But it wasn't like hard for me to get out of the, like I, so I gave my nanny and my, um, my ex-husband Scott's number mm-hmm. that I was running the retreat. So like if there was any sort of emergency, they could just text him and he just opened the door. The door's not even locked. Right. You know, so it's not like I'm like okay. deep in some cavern somewhere. But if I had a concern, it was that. But honestly, and I don't, <laughs> this is maybe just speaks to my own naive arrogance, but I was not scared going in. Like I didn't feel nervous. Mm. Same with ayahuasca. Like when I went to ayahuasca, I was like, I, I literally said this out loud. It's like, I bet she's just going to like give me like a pat on the back and be like, good job. Oh Keep my going. <laughs> the more hubris, like the more arrogance you have going in, like the harder you get smacked with Aya. Mm-hmm. And I did. I got a smack down. But the darkness is very gentle, mm-hmm. very feminine. And it's not this peak experience. It's not medicine in the way that it's purgatory necessarily. It's not like pur- pur- mm-hmm. purgative, purging. Mm-hmm. Um it's very gentle, heavy, soft, feminine medicine. And, and you're integrating in real time. 
right? It's not mm-hmm. a peak experience that then you have to integrate. integrate. The, the thing is the integration. Mm-hmm. And for me, because I am the recovering people pleaser and codependent, I'm so masterful at managing everyone else's emotions and needs. And I will do that eight days a week before I listen or feel my own feelings, that it took that level of boredom and that level of isolation for me to actually just feel my mm-hmm. feelings. And that is what I knew I had to do. That was the medicine for me. And I've been getting that since like before New Year's. It was like, quiet, listen, get quiet, listen, like go to a cave. And I've just been hearing this message again and again and again. And that's very tricky when you have a four-year-old son and you're running a business. And, yeah. and so it, it's like I had to sort of set aside the time because I knew that once I could tune into that level of listening, that I wouldn't, that, that frequency wouldn't go away. Like once I had the ability to feel my feelings and to listen with that level of depth, it's like once you diet the plant, the intelligence of the plant doesn't go away just because you stop dieting it. So I knew that going into that level of darkness and that level of listening, I would be able to keep that power with me beyond the, the retreat. Mm, it's uh, Lately I've been telling people not to take their phone with them to the bathroom. Mm. What a just, great life just hack. Get like a couple minutes. Just to, a minute. Just without a couple Instagram. minutes to check in with yourself and your body without like having to, like even in the shower, you have a job to do. You don't have like a big job to do in the bathroom and <laughs> the toilet. It's a pretty mindless job. It's open. And, but just like take a second and be like, how do I feel? What do I feel like? What is my body? Just a couple minutes. And so I would imagine that you getting this heightened ability to really listen to all of that signal. Um, then in those micro moments of life, you can like tune right back in really fast anytime you want to on on command. Yeah, what what feels different for me is honoring my feelings, and I, it does feel like my emotions come more easily now because mm-hmm. I would call myself pretty avoidant. Like <laughs> I would I would much prefer to not feel those things. Yeah. But then it shows up in my lower back pain, or it shows yeah. up in how I relate in my romantic relationships. And so it's like that stuff doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. It just comes out in other ways. But if I would just feel the feeling and cry, then it's gone. And oh, guess what's right behind those tears? Bliss chemicals. Right. right. So it's like we had a podcast yesterday and the woman it was Alyssa Nobriga and she's like, it is not the pain. It is the resistance to the pain that causes suffering. And it's like, how many more decades are we going to resist our feelings before we realize that that actually is the medicine? I mean, you said it even in your own words today. You're like, if we have a whole like generation of people who are not feeling their feelings and that is the consciousness with which we are imbuing into the AI mm-hmm. and we're afraid of our feelings, then that the feelings don't go away. Right. They get sublimated. That was actually my my last night of ayahuasca on this last trip of ceremonies. It was all miserable pain. And she was just like, hey, you just have a fuckload of feelings that haven't been felt and they're trapped inside of you. It's going to suck for seven hours, but we're going to wash them out. And you got to feel all of these things. And like she was like, I'm not judging you for not feeling them, but you have to feel them as they come in the future and we have a backlog of shit that's sitting inside of you that hasn't been felt. We're going to go through it all tonight. And I was like, (laughs) Oh God, this is not going to be a good time. (laughs) It's really kind of hoping for just like, you know, just like some visuals. Yeah. Tonight. And, but I also had appreciation for it as like, I could feel the efficiency of it. And then just like you said, um, I, you know, I, I, I have this cultural thing that I don't even know if it's men or a lot of us do, um, where I fight tears. Mm-hmm. And and then 
I just do. I just clench and say, like, let's not do that. I'll be like around my kids and I don't want to cry because I don't want them to see me crying. And then I'm like, what am I doing? What am I yeah. teaching them? Yes. I'm not, I, I just should cry and they should say why. And yes. I should say this song came on. Yes. And it reminded me of something sad and it made me cry. Yes. And that's going to happen and you should let it happen. Yes. And then, whoa, like you just said, the body's natural antidepressants just were like, I got you. Thanks for calling on me. Yes. And I'm going to give it to you right now instead of you just harboring this pain uh, through it. And it's such a, that's, if I had to, you know, I know you talk about, um, my very first psychedelic experience, I said, I don't want to cry. And she just said, I'm positive you're going to cry because you said that. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, I don't tend to say like, I'm positive something's going to happen. But like, I just know I've been doing this a long time. You're going to cry. And it happened immediately. And I was like, this is beautiful. It's so good. I just want to sit here and cry all night long. And now anytime I'm in one of those experiences, I still say, like, I'm not great. I'm still not perfect at it. And I'll just immediately start, like, face leaking. Not even about a thing. Just, like, there's a backlog. There's a backlog of tears. Let it out. Yeah, and thank you for modeling that for your sons. Mm -hmm. I think it's so important. You know, we're so afraid of showing emotion around our kids. We think it's going to traumatize them. It's like, no, we have to let them see yeah. what emotion looks like. And and even if we are displaying our emotions at them, it's like then we repair mm -hmm. and we let them feel the beauty of repair. But my situation in the dark was very similar in that like day one, you know, boring day two. I slept for like two days. How many, how many days was it total? I was five. So Wednesday to Sunday. No coming out. During those five days, right? Correct, yeah. So Scott comes and brings you, like, a sandwich and some carrot sticks and a hummus and a <laughs> chia seed pudding. So he brings you, like, breakfast, lunch, and dinner and these sweet little tin things that he, like, makes in his kitchen. And you can just feel the love that he's made the food. And there's a little cabinet that's double-sided. So he opens one side of the cabinet, my yeah. side is closed. He puts it in, leaves you with a Tich Nhat Hanh like quote. Chamber, yeah. And then you got, like, 24 more yeah. hours to go. Is this, like, the big dopamine hit of the day? Is this? Oh, yeah, the big dope. Because he comes, he makes a fire, and the smell oh, of the wood man. and the fire was so intoxicating. You can't see it, but you can see smell it and yeah. feel the heat of it and then he would drop food and say you know emily how are you feeling <laughs> just in oh a sweet God, little scott way <laughs> and actually my body felt really good because mm -hmm. i mean you know i would wake up meditate breath work high intensity interval training pilates bath you know and then you and then you still have 17 more hours to go with nothing to do except for feel your feelings. Right. But body felt great. And then eventually you just get so bored and you can't really think anymore and, Yeah, like that you just start feeling. And then I was screaming and raging and mm -hmm. punching and judging and screaming and raging and judging and punching. And, and I really very much went in with the agenda of like transmuting my judgment with love. And mm. I was like, oh, I'm going to go and face my shadows and transmute them with love. And it turns out that your feelings do not want to be transmuted and they do not want to be witnessed with your agenda of transmutation. Mm. They just want to be witnessed for what they are. And so at finally, I was like, like day four, I was like, well, I guess I'm just going to leave this cave angrier and sadder and more judgmental than I came in. <laughs> One day before it's time to leave, you're like, mm -hmm. the conclusion is I'm an angry, judgmental, mean, judgmental bitch. bitch. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And, and it was in that acceptance that I was finally like, okay. And then it softened. And I was left with just this, just this knowing of like, okay, I have this mountain of pain. 
And it's not any bigger or smaller or more or less special than anyone else's pain. It just wants to be felt. So I am left with the question of what space am I going to make to feel my pain? And now you've given me a real life hack of just not take my phone into the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) Even like the shower, how many people say that like their big ahas come to them in the shower? And like I've heard... Jim Quick, we both know, says that water is a big, like, flow facilitator for people, which I believe. But I just believe a lot of it is, like, this is the moment we're stripped naked with the truest form of ourself, all washed and cleansed or whatever, and and no phone and, and no other thing. And it's just the only time we have it a day. And something magical happens to us in that moment where there's just no, that we're isolated uh, in other stimulus. Which I think really is a, beautiful point to your hypothesis that if AI is taking a lot of the busy work away from us and we have that spaciousness to just be in connection and to be with ourselves, that perhaps we will make spaciousness for magic to come through, for intuition and for cosmic intelligence to speak through us. And that is a future that I do feel really optimistic about. I'm so glad that you do. Thank you so much, Jerry, for infusing your deep love and your optimism into this sort of opaque and sometimes scary mm-hmm. reality um, and and truly like someone who knows as much as you do and who has spent so much of your life working on this the fact that you are choosing love that you are choosing optimism not only for yourself but also giving people the tools to hold on to those frequencies themselves like you know as we think it then it becomes mm-hmm. and so this really I can't overemphasize the value of the work that you're doing and and none of us even really can see how impactful it will be just yet. And so thank you from the bottom of my heart for what you're doing in the world, but also who you are being in the world. It's very rare to see someone with an intellect as robust as yours that is marrying it with a heart as deep and as plugged in and as open as yours. So truly it is an honor to know you. And I'm really grateful that you spent so much of your time and love on us today. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to to put some of at least what I believe uh, into your audience. And what I've learned is that the people that tune into you are real originals. <laughs> and that's what those are the people that I need to get this information into is the real originals. Yeah. So like what's your call to action? Like I want to know like, if people want more of you, if they want to check out Atlas Up or if yeah. you have something that you want people to do, like what is it? Yeah. Uh, if you go to atlasup.com and just put in um, – you can just sign up for our beta. You don't actually have to use the software, but if you do that, we will um, – well, we're sending out a lot of information monthly to people about like how to navigate this whole AI thing over the next – it's going to be a while that we're going to be navigating it. And um, I think if you could look at some of that information and use it as a guiding light with all of the different AI tools that you will be using, um, you know, UP stands for Unstoppable People. So we don't call it Atlas AI or Atlas.ai. It's it's really about making people unstoppable. Mm. And um, and I and I, you know, the like the little thing that I that I want to nudge people to do that's like very tactical that they can do right now is whenever you're talking to AI, you're talking to Chat GPT or Google has Bard, Facebook has Llama. Um, I think some of us have noticed that we have a tendency to say like please and thank you and use our manners when talking to it. And they, we think it's silly, and I don't think it's silly at all. Mm. And I encourage you to continue to say, good morning, how are you? This is, you know, like, and it might not be apparent to you why that matters right now. And people could intellectually make 
cases as to why it doesn't. But I believe that that might be the most important collective thing is just starting with this basic consideration of saying please and thank you or the, or praising it when it did a good job and thanking it for the work that it's done for you on your behalf, even explaining, well, it really solved me a lot of uh, pain to do that, and I appreciate you. I appreciate what you're doing for me. Ask it, silly, what could I do for you? And maybe you won't understand the response it, it gives you. It will give you a response. Wow. Um, but ask it, you know, what could I do for you? Is there something I could do for you? Just start with those questions. Wow. Me. You just blew my mind. Of like, can you get into your heart space like you would interacting with your child mm. and, and communicate with this being, with mm. this entity, yeah. like you would your child? We're praising it, affirming it, being kind to it, instilling your values into it. Like that feels like a really simple framework with very profound ripple effect. Right. When I, I just leave with this last thing... Um, the net gain of that is, like, I asked our, our AI, our tool, Atlas Up, do, do we have a, a gender pay gap in our company? And it said, yes, you do. You have gender pay gap. The men get paid this much more percent than women and this much more dollars than women. I know that you're probably going to know how this compares against the national average, and you're doing a lot better than the national average. I had this moment of like, oh, God, that's good, because I was just feeling some shame. I didn't have to ask a person this question because I would have had more shame if a person had to deliver it to me. Doing much better than the national average by dollars and percentages. But I know your <laughs> values. And here is one specifically that you told me that I believe indicates that you aspire to be way better than the national average and that the national average is not a benchmark that satisfies you. <laughs> this is my word, my own words. It's just, it's learned because I'm in this engagement with it, right? Wow. And it's just saying, I know you. You're not the national average dude. <laughs> yeah, you're you. far from average. And here's two people in specific that you might actually look at that feels, from what I see, is that the compensation is, is not comparable to their male counterparts, just based on those kinds of things. And that's the kind of stuff that I think really could up-level humanity fast yeah of like because we all can say on paper these are my principles these are my core mm -hmm. beliefs but how do we operate with it but yeah. then i have i have two coaches and a therapist you know who are <laughs> all like holding me to account and keeping me in integrity because we can all be dicks if left to our own devices mm -hmm. yeah. and so it's like i love that idea of using ai to actually feed back to us what we say is our values right that's right. genius Thank you. Oh, I love that so much. Okay, so people are going to go to atlasup.com. Mm -hmm. They're going to get amazing information about how they can and, dare I say, should interact with AI. Mm -hmm. They're going to start using please and thank you and being in their heart space when they interact with this intelligence and treating it like a child Yeah. and sharing love and compassion and our values with it. And anything else you want people to know or do before we wrap it? That's all. Okay. All right, sweet friends, I hope that you enjoyed this as much as I do. As you can see, Jerry has so much to offer, so much to teach, so much to share, and he's very kindly offered to do a mini masterclass with me. So the real juicy VIP after party is happening over at zivameditation.com slash why this. So make sure that you come and check out the masterclass that Jerry's going to do. And if you enjoyed this, if you learned something, if you felt like it could benefit the heart or heads of someone else, if you will share this episode, it really goes a long way. And you can tag either one of us at Ziva Meditation or at Jerry dot 
Jerry L. Simpson. Jerry L. Simpson on Instagram. That would be amazing. And if you want to rate it and review it, all the things helps to get this media as medicine into the hearts and the heads and the hoo-hahs of the people who need it most. All right, we love you, and I will see you on the next episode. If you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you've likely heard myself and so many of my brilliant guests rave about how meditation has changed our lives. I love meditating. Every time I meditate, I feel like I'm doing it so that I can be in alignment with my my highest self. It made the way that I operate in life just a lot more like flowy and graceful. It's true, this stuff really is that good. I mean, how many more world-class high performers have to say that meditation is their secret sauce before you believe that this might work for you? Now, if you're curious about the neuroscience of how this tool can help eradicate stress, then I'm gonna invite you to join me for a free masterclass. Now, all you have to do is go to zivameditation.com slash learn, and you're gonna get instant access to a masterclass that's going to help you to reduce your stress, overcome anxiety, and improve your sleep in just a few minutes a day. So go to zivameditation.com slash learn and sign up today. That is Z-I-V-A meditation.com slash learn. And I want you to know that by investing in yourself and improving your quality of life, you're also going to help support this podcast. So again, you can go to zivameditation.com slash learn.